Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, if you're uh, visiting us for the first time, let me just say welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us on live stream for the first time, uh, we also extend our welcome to you. For those of you who've been around the last few weeks, you probably know we're in the third week of a sermon series in which we are we're focusing on preparing ourselves so that we can finish well in life and not end up like this guy, you know, who kind of crashed along the way. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, when speaking to his disciple Timothy, could say this. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And I hope that all of us would aspire at the end of our own lives to be able to say something like this. You know, the sad thing is, however, that many people don't finish well. I mean, if you look at the story of the Bible, if you look at history itself, the reality is that so many people, you know, instead of finishing well in life, you know, well, we'll just be kind, and we'll just say they finished not so well, you know. And, and that sad reality, it should be something, I think, that kind of puts us on guard, wakes us up. You know, uh, I believe that we all should, should be intentional about finishing well so we don't get to the end of our lives and face disappointment. One of the things that we've been emphasizing throughout this sermon series is that one of the keys to finishing well is listening to and responding to God's voice. You know, God speaks to us in different ways. I think one of the primary ways God speaks to us is when we listen to, when we read God's Word. I mean, God's Word tells us what He wants for our lives. But we also can hear God's voice when He speaks to us, I think, more directly at times through the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not paying attention, if we're, if we're not listening, if we're not making the necessary adjustments and corrections as we go through life, then the chances are we're not going to finish well. I'd like to tell you about this gal. This is a Dutch cyclist by the name of Annemiek van Vluten, and she is an amazing cyclist. The gal's won multiple uh, World Championship Series races. She's won Olympic gold. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about one of her races that I thought was interesting. Just a few years ago, this was back in 2020 at the Tokyo Olympics, she's in one of the long road races. Uh, and she's, this is like one of her specialties, 147 kilometers. And she's doing, as people expected, really well. And as uh, it gets toward the end of the race, you know, she just pulls from everything inside her, breaks away from the leaders, and she crosses the finish line, you know, raising her arms, celebrating, taking the gold medal. Just a little problem, and that was this. She wasn't the first one to cross the finish line. What had happened was a little-known Dutch writer who had just taken up the sport of cycling like six years earlier, was the one who crossed the finish line first. What happened was early on in the race, 
The Austrian had, had broken away from the leaders, and she had built up such a lead that they lost sight of her. Now, you might wonder, how in the world can that happen at this level of cycling? Well, here's why it could happen. The Olympics are different. When these gals compete on the world tour, and all the other races they compete in, they wear radio earpieces. They're constantly getting information from their team about where they are and how to adjust their pace. In the Olympics, they can't wear the radios. So she normally would have been hearing instructions, the voice of her coach saying, don't let up. You know, there's one more rider on the course. We've got to reel them in. Most people believe, knowing this rider, that the reason that she did not end with a victory had nothing to do with how she was riding that day. It had everything to do with the fact that she wasn't able to hear the voice of her coach and adjust her pace so as to overtake that rider. Now, she was super embarrassed. I mean, it took several minutes before she realized she hadn't won gold, she had won silver. Like the only thing that could have been more embarrassing for von Fluten on that day was if she did have a radio earpiece and failed to win the race simply because she decided to ignore the instructions of her coach. Now, we can hardly imagine that that could be true. But that is exactly what happened in the life of one of Israel's kings. This morning, I'd like us to look at the example of King Solomon. Now listen, some people have a really hard time, you know, winning at life's race because they start out with so many disadvantages. You know, it's just way harder for them. Uh, you know, kind of like this guy, you know, okay. He's suited up, he's ready to go, but you know, it's probably not going to go so well for him. But not so with Solomon. Solomon had all kinds of God-given advantages. He had this impressive resume. I mean, just take a look at this. Third king of Israel, son of David, God-given wisdom, abundant wealth, builder of the temple, an astute politician, ruler over a powerful kingdom. And then there's this one. God spoke to Solomon. God spoke directly to Solomon on at least four occasions. And yet, with all of that, Solomon failed to finish well. In fact, if we look at what God really wants most for our lives, we'd have to say Solomon failed miserably. He ended his life in apostasy, under the judgment of God. Solomon had every opportunity to finish well in life, but he did not because he failed to listen to clear direction that God was giving him throughout his life. Instead of ending his life, as I'm sure he had hoped, with sort of this stained glass image of a, a regal king, Solomon ended up his life looking more like this. A joker. Now, if Solomon, with all of his advantages, could still get off track, I think we would be pretty foolish 
to assume that that could never happen to us. So this morning, I want to look at Solomon's example. We'll look at where he got off track. And I want to see how we could avoid the same pitfalls. Solomon's story is recorded in the Bible in two different places, in the book of 1 Kings and in the book of 2 Chronicles. Now, 2 Chronicles gives us a rather sanitized version of his life. You know, it just kind of drops out all the mistakes he made. I like to say that 2 Chronicles is all wisdom and no warts. Okay, so we're going to look at 1 Kings. It gives us a little more balanced account of his life. And the Bible, as it records his story, takes us through his early, mid, and late career. So we're going to do that too. So I just want to give us a quick overview, and then we're going to look more carefully at each of these important stages of Solomon's life. The first four chapters of the book of 1 Kings are recording the first four years of Solomon's reign, his early career. This takes us up to his mid-twenties. And what he's doing here is simply securing the throne and he's establishing kind of his administration. The second phase of his career takes us from his mid-twenties to his mid-forties. And in these years, Solomon is mainly given his attention to building the temple and building his own palace in Jerusalem. And then his late career takes us from mid-40s to the year he dies at the age of 60. And here Solomon is simply, he's expanding the kingdom and his own fame is expanding along with that. Now, interestingly, God speaks directly to Solomon in each of these stages of his life. At each stage, giving him really important directions about what he needs to do if he is to finish well. So what I want to do is look at each of these parts of his life, and I want to ask ourselves, what do we see in Solomon's heart? How is he responding to God? You know, what's the trajectory of his life? Is he preparing to finish well? So let's start out with his early career. I think everybody would agree that Solomon makes a really good start. And, and this is to his credit. I mean, think about this. W- would you have been surprised if at the age of 20, Solomon is like a, a snarky rich kid? You know, he's like ready to spend his trust fund, ready to hang out with the Paris Hiltons of his day. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised given growing up with the privileged status that he had. But that's not what we see in Solomon. Solomon's got a humble heart. He seems ready to depend on God. He wants to be a good ruler. First Kings tells us that he loved God. He seems to be walking in faithfulness. And in this early stage of his career, we see Solomon offering extravagant worship of God at a place called Gibeon. And God is pleased with this start that Solomon has made. After he goes to worship at Gibeon, God appears to Solomon in a dream. So this is maybe the first time Solomon is hearing God's voice for himself. And God says to Solomon, Solomon, ask me for whatever you wish. And at this point, Solomon goes, Lord, like I don't know the first thing about being a king. What I, what I really need is your help. I, I need wisdom so that I can rule justly. And God is pleased with this request. And so he gives Solomon not only wisdom, but much more than that. So we read about this in 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 10. 
The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So I just want you to see that God's word to Solomon, it's filled with hope, it's filled with promise. Solomon's making a good start. He's he's pointed in the right direction. But let's do note one important thing that God says here. We see it in verse 14. He says, if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, I will give you a long life. So it's imperative that Solomon continue to listen to God's voice and obey God's voice. All right, what about Solomon's mid-career years? From the ages of mid-20s to his mid-40s, this is the prime of life for Solomon. And he spends the first seven years building a magnificent temple for God. Now we have to realize, this is part of Solomon's God-given life purpose. Remember, God had told King David, his father, that it would be Solomon, his son, who would have the honor of building a temple for his name. And so this is what Solomon is giving himself to in these early years of this part of his career. And in the midst of building the temple, God comes and speaks to Solomon a second time. We see this in chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. It says, The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So, again, we see this emphasis on following God's voice. All of the promises for God's blessing remain as long as Solomon remains faithful to God. Now, over the next 13 years, Solomon builds his own palace complex in Jerusalem. And compared to building the temple, Solomon spends almost twice as long building his own palace And the palace complex is more than four times the size of the temple. Now, some people see in this uh, like a warning sign. Are we seeing a growing pride in King Solomon? I mean, after all, is, is he making his own house grander than God's house? But, you know, I, I think personally that that's reading too much into the text. I mean, here's the thing. The the palace had multiple functions. So you you had a throne room, you had reception rooms, you had various living quarters. The temple just had one purpose. And Solomon's not rebuked for doing this. But the main reason I feel this way is what we continue to see in Solomon's heart. What happens is in 1 Kings chapter 8, it's like the culmination of the three prior chapters, the three Prior chapters are describing in detail Solomon building the temple. So we're done when we start chapter 8. 
And so you start chapter 8, there's this massive celebration service. The first thing that happens is the priest bring the old Ark of the Covenant. This is like back from Moses' day. And they bring it into the brand new temple and they set it in place. Now that is the symbol of God's relationship with his people. And God responds and his glory fills the temple. I mean, there's the cloud of his presence. The priest can't even see in certain areas of the temple because God has filled the temple. All the people are gathered outside. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. The priests are offering thousands of sacrifices. But most of this long chapter is taken up with a very long prayer of Solomon and some speeches that he makes to the people. It's called Solomon's Prayer Dedicating the Temple. But if you read it, it's not so much that Solomon is dedicating the temple. He's rededicating himself to God. He's dedicating the nation of Israel to God. Let me just give you a little snapshot of what happens in the prayer. It's too long to read it. But here's how God or Solomon starts out in verse 23. He, he opens his prayer like this. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you. And then later when he's speaking to the people, he continues in verse 56 saying, Not one word has failed of all the good promises God gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him. So you see, he still cares about his relationship with God. He's still wanting to walk in obedience. And then, in the next part, on, on five occasions inside this lengthy prayer, Solomon is praying for Israel's future. Now, he knows that in the future, Israel's going to blow it. They're going to sin. And he knows that they're going to come under God's correction and judgment because of sin. So in five different ways in this prayer, this is what he does. He says, God, when that happens... It will happen. It's inevitable. That's what he says. Would you turn our hearts back to you? Would you allow us to repent? And then when we turn back to you, would you hear from heaven? Would you forgive? And would you restore your blessing? Let me just give you an example of this. Just picking one verse to give you a sense of this. In verse 30, he says this. Hear the supplication of your servant, and of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. So here's what I want you to see. Solomon knows that God is loving and merciful. Solomon knows also that sin is inevitable. But he knows that when we repent, when we turn back to God, God stands ready to forgive. Well, sometime after this, God comes and speaks to Solomon again. He tells Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And yes, I will hear the prayers of my people. But as God speaks to Solomon on this occasion, there are more words for Solomon. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 9, starting with verse 4. God says, As for you, if you walk before me faithfully, with integrity of heart and uprightness as your father, as David, your father did, and do all the commands and observe my decrees and laws, 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, you do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you, and you go off, serve other gods, and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Verse 8, this temple will become a heap of rubble. Okay, this time there's an increased tone of urgency in God's words. God is saying, Solomon, don't, don't blow it. Don't, don't turn away from me. Don't stop listening to me. Don't become unfaithful. If you do, disaster is going to come. If you do, your great life achievements will have meant nothing. Okay, for Solomon, this is like God's voice coming loud and clear over that radio earpiece. Solomon, be careful. Listen to me. Follow me. God cares about what is going on in Solomon's life. Now let's look at his late career. Solomon has now turned 45 years old. He doesn't know it, but he's got 15 more years. Solomon, at this point, is entering into what some people have called the third act of life. And here's what happens. Solomon is continuing to focus on expanding the kingdom. Along with that, his own fame and wealth is expanding. Solomon now, because of his experience and his wisdom, world leaders are seeking him out and coming to him, asking for advice. The Bible tells us that Solomon is the greatest of all kings on earth at this point. So Solomon, in these years, has the opportunity to experience kind of the payoff, the reward for all of his hard work. Now listen, none of us are ever going to be as wealthy as Solomon. Sorry to burst the bubble there. I just don't think it's going to happen, right? But I do think at this stage of life, some of us experience a a well-deserved bit of relief from all the hard work we've been invested in up to this point in our lives. This is when the, the messy middle stage of life finally starts to sort itself out. These are the years usually when the kids get launched. Oftentimes, we find ourselves to be under a little less financial stress in these years. By this point in time, you know what you're doing in your job. You might be even calling the shots in your career. Look at for the first time in maybe 20 years, we feel like we can finally catch our breath and, and maybe even let our foot off the pedal a little bit. And what that means is, for some of us, These years, this third act of life can be filled with opportunity. It's a chance to kind of finally lift our heads up and think about how can God use my life to bless other people? I've been so focused on my kids, my family, my job, but now I can look out ahead. How can I make my life count for eternity? It's an opportunity, if we should choose, to shift our focus from success to real significance. 
A chance to kind of harness all the momentum that we've been building up to this point in our life and now leverage that. Use that for God's glory. To reach for something even higher. Or, it may be a stage of life in which we simply plateau. Or maybe even begin an early descent. Kind of like when you're on a flight and you hear the jet engines start to wind down and you look at your watch and you realize you're like still an hour and a half from landing. Those who study demographic trends will tell us that this stage of life, the third act, yeah, it presents a number of opportunities. It also presents a number of enormous risk. Risk with names like infidelity, increasing self-centeredness, bitterness, this disturbing trend of divorce among older couples, so-called gray divorce, and for some, spiritual shipwreck. So great opportunities and great risk. Which will it be? Let's look at Solomon's life. From about the middle of chapter 9 to the end of chapter 11, we have an accounting of these final 15 years of Solomon's career. He dies at the age of 60. And part of this text is devoted to describing Solomon's successes. In fact, the the editors of the NIV version insert a a subtitle halfway through chapter 10. It's not in the original text, but it's meant to be descriptive. It simply says this, Solomon's splendor. But I'm not sure the NIV editors got it right in this case because the writer of 1 Kings is deliberately trying to point out several massive mistakes on Solomon's part during this latter part of his career. Let me just try to sum up these final 15 years, what we see going on. Solomon accumulates a vast amount of wealth, particularly gold. It's mentioned 16 times in these verses. Solomon also accumulates a great number of chariots and war horses. And Solomon marries many foreign wives. So, Lots of gold, lots of horses, and lots of wives. Now, what's wrong with an ancient king having lots of wealth, lots of weapons, and lots of wives? I mean, didn't they all in that day? Instead of looking and setting our expectations by the cultural norms of that day, I think instead we should look to what God said he wanted for Israel's kings and what he didn't want for Israel's kings. Much earlier, back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, God had told Moses what he wanted future kings of Israel to look like, how he wanted them to live their lives. I want to go back and read a couple verses to you now. Listen to these verses. See if anything jumps out at you. Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, 
verse 17. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Okay, gold, horses, wives. Sound familiar to anyone? The, the writer of 1 Kings is trying to alert the reader to the fact that something in Solomon's life is off. Something terrible has changed here. Now let's look at these prohibitions. I, I don't think God doesn't like horses. That, that's not the issue here. I think God's larger concern for Israel's kings is this. It's the risk of misplaced trust. That's what God is trying to avoid. In other words, when it comes to our deepest needs in life, what are we looking to? Who are we looking to to provide for those needs? So, for example, when it comes to our bodily needs, our needs for food and clothing and shelter, are we putting our faith in money? When it comes to our security needs, needs for protection, needs for freedom, are we putting our faith in power and weapons of war? When it comes to relational needs, the need for you know, love and belonging and acceptance, are we putting our faith in people? Now listen, whatever the ultimate answer is for you, that thing is Lord in your life. That's what the Bible says. And what the Bible wants is that we would put our trust, that we would put our faith for all of these things in God himself. And this is one of the main things Jesus is emphasizing in the Sermon on the Mount. And what we can see in Solomon's life is that at this point in his life, his trust, his foundational trust seems to have shifted. No longer do we see that childlike dependence on God that we saw earlier in his career, now it seems like Solomon is beginning to trust in money, in power, and in other people, particularly his wives. So what we see when we come to chapter 11, the last chapter describing Solomon's life in 1 Kings, is where this misplaced trust ultimately leads Solomon, I told you, had defied Old Testament commands to not intermarry with the idolatrous peoples who lived around Israel. But instead, Solomon had married many of these pagan women. And in his older years, his older age, these pagan wives seemed to have influenced Solomon to turn away from God and turn instead toward their gods. Let's read, starting with verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Skipping to verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and will give it to one of your subordinates. At this stage, 
Solomon seems to have stopped listening to the voice of God, and instead he is listening to the voice of his pagan wives. And here's the point. When it comes to finishing well, one of the big questions we need to ask ourselves is this. Who are we listening to? Who has the dominant voice in our lives? Is it the values of our secular culture? Is it the the message of social media influencers? Is it the voice of our non-Christian friends? Or is it God's voice? And just like Solomon, when we choose to follow any voice that is opposed to God's will for our lives, you know what that's called? That's called idolatry. In God's eyes, it's no different than you going to a pagan shrine and worshiping some physical idol. So despite his great start, despite his many successes, Solomon failed massively. He ended his life as an idolater. I don't know that we teach this one in Sunday school. I bet if we went and interviewed children, they'd come to Sunday school their whole life, and we said, hey, in God's eyes, who do you think was a better king, King Saul or King Solomon? Solomon would get all the votes. I disagree. At the end of those two lives, I think Saul comes out looking better than Solomon. Saul was not an idolater. So what can we learn from Solomon's failures? How how can we be better prepared to finish well? I'd like to share three things with you. Here's the first one. Allow God's written word to form your life, not worldly desires or influences. Earlier, we looked at some verses from Deuteronomy 17 where God had instructions for Israel's kings. I want to go back there now because there's something we left out. Picking up where we left off. Verse 18, this is what God says. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not turn from the law to the right or to the left. You see, we can't just know about the Bible. We can't just dust the book off, you know, a couple times a year. God's Word, His written Word, needs to go deep in our lives. As it says here, it needs to be with us. We need to read it. You need to read it every day of your life. We need to allow God's written Word to form us What I mean is to form our perception of truth, of reality. The Word of God needs to go so deep into our lives that it shapes the deepest convictions of our lives, the stuff by which we operate in life. At the end of his life, Solomon was listening to his wives. He was conformed by their wishes instead of as God had wanted, him being formed by God's Word. Paul says this in Romans 
Chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation happens as we spend time in God's Word. It shapes our way of thinking and our way of living. Don't be conformed by worldly influences and desires. Here's the second thing we learn from Solomon's tragic story, and that's this. Be quick to repent when you fail. We all are going to fail. That's a fact. We know from chapter 8 of 1 Kings that Solomon understood that God was forgiving. He knew we would sin. And he knew that if we repent, if we turn back to God, then God is ready to forgive us. But here's the thing. In the latter part of his life, though he knew the path of repentance and forgiveness, unlike his father David, it seems that Solomon did not choose to walk that path. This is what sets David and Solomon apart. It's not that David never committed any sin. David was a murderer. But David repented of that sin, and God forgave him. We don't see that happening in Solomon's life. Don't make the same mistake. God loves you. God's gracious. God is ready to forgive you if we turn away from our sin and re-engage listening to God's voice. Here's the last thing, the third thing, and that's this. Listen to the guiding voice of God's Spirit. As I said at the beginning of this message, you know, we hear God's voice in different ways. Sometimes it's by reading, listening to God's Word. Sometimes it's by the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We know on four occasions Solomon heard God in that way. I'm convinced Solomon heard the Lord speaking to him. But later in life, it appears that he didn't listen and respond. Those are different things, right? Look what James says in his letter, the first chapter, verse 22. He says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Solomon failed to respond to the voice of his heavenly Father. And thereby he failed to finish well. I opened this message by telling you the story of that Dutch cyclist. I'd like to tell you about another sports figure now, a younger one, a boy by the name of Jacob Smith. Jacob grew up loving to ski, but when he was eight years old, doctors discovered he had a brain tumor. The tumor had wrapped itself around his optic nerve, and it was causing increasing blindness. So at the age of eight, doctors started a series of surgeries. He had to undergo radiation therapy. He survived, but he doesn't have 20-20 vision. This is what 20-20 vision should look like. Okay, if that's not clear, you, you need to get an eye exam, right? This is what 2400 vision looks like. But Jacob doesn't have 2400 vision. Jacob has 2800 vision. He has no depth perception. He has almost no peripheral vision, essentially tunnel vision. And aside from that, the boy is colorblind. But at the age of 12, Jacob became the youngest legally blind skier 
to ski a treacherous run called the Big Kular. Now, if you can see a ski run there, your eyes are better than mine. <laughs> How does he do this sort of thing? Well, here's what he does. First of all, his siblings take him down a run very slowly, meticulously, and they're describing to him each thing that he's encountering on the way. And then he skis solo by listening to the voice of his father on the radio. So I'm going to show you a video clip of Jacob skiing this run. And listen carefully, because in the background, you can hear the quiet voice of his father directing Jacob. My name is Jacob Smith, first ever blind skier to ski the Big Coulard, Big Sky, Montana. Dad, dropping in three, two, one. Good job. History just has been made. Forever. That is your title. Jacob successfully finished that ski run by carefully listening to the voice of his father. So how can we avoid Solomon's mistakes? How can we finish well? First of all, by being formed by God's Word every day, spending time in God's written Word. Secondly, by being quick to repent and receive forgiveness when you will fail. And third, like Jacob, by listening to the voice of our Heavenly Father. This is how, at any age, we can be preparing ourselves to finish well in life. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you care deeply about our lives, every part of it. Thank you, God, that not only do you forgive us when we fail, but you guide us, you lead us, you speak to our hearts. So, Lord, would we be quick to listen and respond? Would we slow down and eliminate the noise so that we can hear your voice clearly. Oh God, we pray, allow us to be among the few who finish well in life in your eyes. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.